Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of the Melbourne AWS User Group podcast. We're a month in now, and we once again have our What's New section. Unfortunately, we didn't have any other episodes in between yet. I'm sure that will change before the next one. But that does mean that for this second episode, I'm once again joined by my good friends Guy and Jean-Manuel. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Harden. How are you? Very happy to be here. Excellent. You keeping well? Yeah, as we all are, I assume. Well, it's a bit hard to get into trouble when you're stuck in your house, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, you can have some trouble, maybe, but it's, yeah, it's not trouble that's likely. To, well, no, I don't know. I mean, I was chopping up vegetables the other day and I thought, don't cut your finger off because this would be a really bad time to cut your finger off and had to turn up at hospital. And yeah, so I guess it's not so bad. It's The curve seems to be flattening. So I guess, you know maybe maybe we're seeing the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel what do you think i think while well, in australia it's getting a bit better there's still quite a bit of tunnel left mm, yeah yeah before we go to reinvent i think uh, there's uh, some ground to be to be gained there reinvent I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I'm not too excited to get there even there. No, I, I can't see any international travel starting in 2020. Well, I'm sure there'll be some people who will be quite enthusiastic to travel and would just do it anyway, but I, I just don't see any kind of international, significant international travel happening before next year at some point. They're going to have to figure out all new protocols for for how to how to deal with it, how to deal with people coming into any country, I think, don't you think? Probably. It's not going to be an easy solution for a while. But yeah. Anyway, so now we've done our um, editorial <laughs> situation. Move on to the actual the actual news. Exactly. It's been a busy month in April. So we'll just go through it section by section, just like we did last time. And that starts, as always, with Finally in Sydney. Hooray! Hooray! We've got things finally in Sydney. So one, one of these that I was quite interested in because I was um, so I'm, I'm in, the, in the moment working on a, me like probably thousands of other, you know, would-be app developers doing a COVID-19 app. And um, I'm just so frustrated by the availability of data or lack of availability of, da- of good data in Australia that I thought that I noticed that when um, AWS said there was uh, COVID-19 data on data exchange, I thought, oh, okay, I'll go and have a look at that. That might be my- the answer to my prayers. Unfortunately not. Data exchange, currently very US centric. There's a few Australian data sources, but nothing very much. Obviously now that it's opened up to providers in Australia and New Zealand, hopefully that will change because it's quite a good, potentially, quite a useful service and um, I I wondered whether the fact that there's a whole of government agreement with AWS meant that you know there was a a chance that might be part of a a sort of future solution for a government distribution of relevant data to to the community be nice if it were yeah so yeah but definitely data providers and just in general uh, the marketplace as well now being open to australian and new zealand developers consulting partners whoever is pretty good and something i'm sure a lot of us have been waiting for yeah jam was there anything specific that stands out for you oh i love networking so for me uh, transit getaway support in sydney uh to be able to do international peering i found that pretty cool uh, really connecting your transit getaway in Sydney with other region and then uh, use the backbone from AWS to do that. That's, uh, that's very nice. Uh, one tip though, you need to have a different ISN number for all your transit getaway 
because today it is manual routing or simple routing and uh, AWS want to implement BGP in the future. So you will be able to have like that multi-layers uh, networking across multi-regions. So pretty cool for ent- enterprise who operate in multiple regions. Yeah. Mm. What about ground stations? Anyone launching a satellite anytime soon? Unfortunately not, but it is one that I... Look, it's one of the coolest things that was announced, I think, in uh, reInvent 2018. It's taken a while to get here, but it's just an awesome thing. Just let's have something to deal with outer space. Hmm. I'm sort of surprised a little bit that we weren't an earlier um, site for it, given our geographication, you know. There's a lot of, like, we're kind of uniquely placed in the Southern Hemisphere for, for satellite traffic, I would have thought. So, but anyway, there you go. What do I know? Yeah, it's funny saying, yeah, it's funny saying the announcement to be able to get your data faster when the satellite goes around uh, the globe. So that, that's uh, interesting, yeah. But you, and you pay just for the time you use the antenna, so you don't have to buy your own antenna, which is probably very expensive. Do you think they put them on top of the... AWS data centers. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Who knows, yeah. The other announcements for what finally came to Sydney are Fargate support in EKS, which is good if you use the best way of running containers, which is Fargate, and also need to use EKS. Yeah, and you're just a little bit excited about that, are you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I prefer it on ECS, but, you know, if, okay. you're, if you have to use EKS, then... Obviously, this is the next best step. At least you can do it the right way now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two things, though. You can't run GPU uh, in Fargate at the moment if you need to run GPU on the containers. And then uh, it's supported only with private subnet. So you can't run a public EKS cluster with Fargate. You need to be private because of the endpoint. So Yeah. Public EKS cluster d- doesn't really sound like something you should do anyway. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the last thing that was finally in Sydney is Postgres 11 support for Aurora. Yeah, just a, another number. Uh, still one behind RDS, so Postgres 12 is on RDS now. Aurora is a bit lagging all, all the time, but uh, that's fine. So, but then let's move on to the serverless section. I, I love the RDS proxy. Yeah, the RDS proxy uh, Postgres are very cool product when you need to run uh, database at scale. And multi-AZ. If you had a failure before with RDS, you had to wait for the DNS to propagate. That could take one, two, three, four, five, seven minutes. Don't, don't know. And now with a proxy, AWS announced that you can reduce your failover by 66%, which is really significant when you run production stuff. And then you can add, uh, read replicas and all of that at, um, at scale as well, uh, behind that proxy. Yeah. Looks pretty cool product. Um, Knowing, I, I used to run Oracle database, and that they're so painful. But we don't know the price yet; still in preview, so we see. I think one of the other use cases for that is um, with Lambda, isn't it? That just to manage all the all the connections. So one of the problems you have with Lambda is is um, ending up with too many open open database connections. Is one of the one of the points of this is to to have a layer that's essentially managing the connection pooling to your database for you. 100% right. Yeah, he does connection pooling for you and then group the connection and, and, and relieve the data, the, the database for that pain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that, that we've got a customer who I think could potentially really benefit from this, but, um, the, the whole preview status drives everyone mad. It's like, yeah, but we, we want to use it in production. Well, you can't because it's in preview. So 
you just have to it's just like taunting you here look there's this really cool thing it's coming it's coming <laughs> yeah I, I, my, my spider senses tell me this is this can't be far away though um coming into a ga so let's 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 hope that it's very soon yeah i mean it's already good it's basically an extension on the mysql proxy so another thing that is quite nice is that you can now export your apis if you have an if you're using an http api yeah i'm planning to make use of that with my um COVID data build my uh apis as hp apis and then so export them as um open api3 yeah you still can't put a WAF on top right of that api it's still a very light version of the real api getaway uh so you can't put a WAF and you can't put keys as well it's just a pass through so not that secure so it's kind of the point to make it lightweight. So if you put everything on top of it, then... It's not lightweight anymore. Yep. Anything else from the serverless list that you find interesting? I'm, I'm interested in having a look at the uh, Visual Studio Code toolkit that's going to support step functions. That sounded kind of interesting. I didn't actually quote anything from the Docker on that, but I think it was... Uh, uh, includes full support for state machine visualization, enabling you to visualize your state machine in real time as you build. You can kind of see a visualization in the in the console, but you don't really want to work in the console, right? So it'd be quite interesting. I'm, I'm, I haven't I haven't had a chance to look at it and see whether it, it you know what it actually does, but I'm, I am interested in seeing what it does. I'll give that a spin at some point. Yeah, n- neither of you have looked at it, I guess. Have you seen seen it in action or know what it's kind of doing no i don't use your plugin i have to plug in but like i haven't actually had a chance to play with any um, step functions since it's been announced and i didn't play around with existing ones either yeah oh well be interesting to see what happens another thing that stood out to me actually was the extra sdk for go that it's now generally available considering i've used that for i don't know a year and a half maybe two years I was actually surprised to realize it wasn't GA yet. <laughs> so that's one of those ones that falls into that category of we were talking about iron. We see an announcement. Wasn't that always there? Yep. <laughs> so often. Let's move on to containers. So for me personally here, the big thing is probably EFS support for ECS, including Fargate, which means that there's finally a persistent storage layer for Fargate containers. Yeah. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah. Yeah. EFS has had some good love this month, I would say. There's been a few announcements related to EFS that are that have made people happy. Yeah, 400% increase in re- speed in the, the general purpose version. So that's, uh, that's pretty good because EFS always suffered from the launch of the product uh, as its you know, performance. Then they change the, the pricing method, they change the, the type of uh, load, you have a high IOP, but you end up with a high latency as well. So now that's pretty good that they increase that, that 400% on general purpose to serve, you know, website and stuff like that. So that'll go with the, the container of ECS. But please don't run database on EFS with a Fargate. That's a bad idea. Don't use <laughs> permanent storage on containers. Uh, for database stuff. No, I'll, I'll always just put a big XML file and pass that. That's my database. 
Oh, come on. Be, be modern. Use JSON at least as a database. Come on. I guess the only, the only downside to that is that you can burn through your burst credits um, f- four times faster than you used to be able to. Oh, yeah, it's a good point, yeah. EKS managed node groups uh, with private clusters uh, networking. That's, that's really good. Uh, in the past, your node was ending up with a public IP all the time, and that was not really good for enterprise. So now you can finally have a complete airtight EKS cluster uh, even with no NAT getaway, if you have an endpoint for EC2. So, um, yeah, we build that for a bank. That's pretty good. Finally, no public IP on, on nodes. Yeah, this is only for uh, the managed node groups. Obviously, if you used your own nodes, they could already be completely private. 100% correct, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then the support for service link role. That, that's good as well. You don't need to create your IMOs. Um, AWS does it for you. Get logged into CloudTrail. Uh, and the biggest advantage really is that you cannot delete the role if you have a cluster running. Uh, where before you, someone could have deleted that IM role and then your cluster would have failed with no, no IM. Uh, now with a service link role, that's not possible anymore. So that's, that's a good improvement. Cool. Let's move on then to the next section. This time, let's just go to databases where we have a new service available. In fact, a completely new name for a service. Keyspaces for Apache Cassandra within brackets, just like our um, good friend DocumentDB. Yeah, so so there's some, some some licensing requirement there, do you think, to have to use the name in the name that, that has driven all this, the, the weird compulsion? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. Because it's because the official title I think is Amazon Keyspaces for Apache Cassandra, so the Apache has to be in there as well, right? You can't just say for Cassandra; it has to be for Apache Cassandra, which I guess is fair enough. Look, I mean, it's not like AWS doesn't get a lot of lot of value out of open source projects and turn it into a lot of big piles of cash for themselves. So it's you can't really you can't really blame the open source project folks for saying, "Hey, look." You've got to put our name in the name of the product because, you know, we don't want you guys just everyone going, oh, Amazon Keyspaces, it's an amazing new database. And they go, actually, it's Apache Cassandra, you bastards. You know, we've been, <laughs> it's been around for ages. And just because you didn't notice it doesn't mean it wasn't there. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I, I, I sort of, the other thought I, want, I had about this one too was, I mean, obviously, AWS has got, you know, they've got the full set of database options right from your ledger database and you know all, all the all the flavors right but this seems to me to be very similar to dynamo isn't it so i just wondered what the maybe customers might leak from dynamo which they've obviously spent a lot of years really pushing people towards um i mean do you see a lot of possibility that people might sort of choose this over dynamo I suspect that this is a bit more, um, if Dynamo doesn't quite reach your requirements, that this is a step up from that in complexity and abilities, what you can do with it. I don't have much experience with Cassandra myself, but my understanding is it's just a bit more capable in certain regards. And obviously it makes it easier for people who have their existing Cassandra databases to move into AWS, or at least move to database now. Yeah, I think it's focused on the migration. You're right, Argent, to to help 
people who run Cassandra on prem right now, they don't have to uh, redesign the code, uh, add the Dynamo SDK and the code, and they just move to Cassandra and then that's uh, ordered the key space service. And, and then they have a managed service for that. So it's a bit like Kafka as well. Why run it Kafka when you can run Kinesis? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the big thing with Keyspaces uh, compared to like a document DB is that this is a completely managed service. So it is just as serverless, so to, say, so to speak, as Dynamo is. Whereas document DB, you have to run actual instances and things like that. So that's, that's nice. Yeah. And they offer 4.9 SLAs out of the box. That, that's impressive. Yeah. So another interesting one here that I thought is um, Neptune support for T3 Medium instances. So you don't have to run as big an instance anymore just for your testing. Um, Neptune is the graph database uh, from AWS in case people are not familiar with it. And until now, you just ha- always you had to just run bigger instance sizes, which obviously... It's not economical. No. Yeah, I mean, they did that. I mean, they have a history, I guess, of, of launching something with a, a, a higher spec minimum instance, and then over time they they drop those um, smaller instance options in, which is, is nice to see. Just on the subject of 4.9s you mentioned before too, it didn't, uh, and I don't think it's here, but didn't EFS get 4.9s as well this month? Mark? Yeah, that's correct. They, they, yeah. Uh, that's, that's in May, actually. That's just up oh, today. Oh, oops. <laughs> Oh no! It's this morning. <laughs> uh, we said we won't talk about today. Yes, it's this morning that uh, okay, the we'll talk- has been uh, yeah. We'll come okay, back to we'll, that next we'll month. We'll scrub that bit. We'll, we'll come back to it. You can just copy and paste <laughs> that section. Shall we have a look at the uh, Dev and Ops section? Oh, chatbot! Um, I love chatbot, and uh, now you get the the full integration uh, between the CodeStar suite. And your Slack, for example, you can integrate with that. That was a big thing missing for code pipeline uh, from all the type of pipeline product. Um, so now leveraging chatbot, which is now in GA, uh, you can uh, set up that for free and uh, you can have your code pipeline alert you through your Slack and then tell you where, where you're at uh, or your commit. And stuff like that. So that's a good integration. Have you been using chatbot? Yeah, I'm sure you did. No, no, I haven't. I haven't actually had a chance to use that or an opportunity to use that yet. So I'll look forward to that. It's yeah. in my future. And uh, I love the image builder as well. Yeah, image builder update is good. Um, well, until now, you could only use Amazon Linux 2 or Windows as a base. Now it's Ubuntu, Red Hat, CentOS, SUSE. So basically, all the things. Yeah, the main Linux flavors that people might want to use either for enterprise reasons or because they prefer it. Yeah. Well, and often you, your workload just is, is built for, it's not compatible with other things. And yeah, so yeah, that is going to make it a lot more, that is going to, you know, help on uptake. I think a lot of people will pick it up now that maybe were put off by not having their choices available. What about kernel live patching? That came really late in the day. Yeah. But it is in April. It was in April. It was, yeah. I think it was Wednesday. That's right. Yeah, I mean that's that seems like a very nice feature for just for maintaining uptime on very on systems that you know you you don't want to bring down at any point, and and just having that live patching um, possible is, seems like a good thing 
TM. Like, like for cluster node or something, or container node using ECS or EKS? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess in you know the way we like to build, the, the, you know, you can take a machine out and it doesn't matter. So it's it's you know it shouldn't matter for most things, right? But imagine you've yeah. got that crusty old server that um, maybe you've you've managed to get it running on Amazon Linux too, but there's only one of it because you can't you can't uh, you can't you can't load balance it across multiple instances, and there's only one, and it's got to be up all the time. Then I guess that's your use case for live patching that's going to save the day. I've run into applications that have licensing tied to MAC addresses and things like that, which obviously yep. is yep. then a good use case. Talking about uptime, CloudWatch Synthetics, also interesting. It's basically, if you're familiar with services like Pingdom, that's check whether your website is up and running, whether forms work, this is that, but from Amazon. And I'm sure Amazon has reasons why theirs is better. I'm not sure what they are at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's integrated. It's it's all in the same console. Uh, yeah. Um, but I guess the 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 apart from the GA news, it's the monitoring of the private endpoints um, is something which Pingdom can't do. So I guess maybe there maybe there's may, maybe there's your competitive advantage right there. Yeah. So um, so you can now use Synthetics to monitor um, endpoints that aren't accessible to the internet where Pingdom would fail you. Which is especially good for like, internal applications and things like that. Yep. Cool. And it is available in Sydney. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. On security, talking about new releases, Amazon Detective. Have either of you put on your hat yet? And Oh, I had uh, a look at the product. Yeah, it looks expensive. It, it, it looks pretty cool. It's another AI service, like a bit guard, guard duty, right, which is a good mm. deeper and analyze your cloudware, your VPC flow logs, and stuff like that. Um, when you look at the cost, it's $2.5 in Sydney per gigabyte. So if you have like four, 500 gig of data, that's 1200 bucks a month, uh, US dollars. So it's, it's not a cheap product, but you know, for a bank mm -hmm. or for some PCI product you want to monitor, maybe that's a, that's a good, but don't try to run that in your demo poker account after the 30 days free. But isn't Detective more meant for post-incident reviews? So you don't need, you don't, you're not constantly monitoring. You're just telling it, please look at this data so that we can figure out what went, what happened. Yeah, that, that was my understanding too. Because I mean, guard duty is essentially uh, pulling in all the same exact same uh, logs, cloud trail and VPC flow logs and and such, um, DNS logs. And I think I think the, the I mean, Detective is like root cause analysis so as you say i think the idea is you've guard duties flagged something that happened the idea with detective is you sort of pull you pull that section of data into into detective and and get it to do root cause analysis on what what happened um but yeah i'm not i'm not familiar enough to speak with confidence about that either a product I like is Secret Manager, uh, and now uh, he integrates with AWS Config, who give you a tracking of what's happening uh, inside your uh, Secret Manager tool, and uh, will monitor when passwords get changed and who did it and stuff like that. So a very good integration with AWS Config now to track changes on your secrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. The sign-in with Apple, even though it's probably got a relatively limited market, I know uh, some developers that were working on 
working with um, Cognito and and when sign in with Apple came out, came along they were just about hanging themselves because of the the fact that Apple basically said look unless you support sign in with Apple you can't put your app on our app store so supporting that is is kind of important I think for for a lot of app developers the other thing that we should talk about with Cognito of course is the the miraculously disappearing um, Cognito multi-region solution that was released uh, a few days ago well it was a few days ago a week or so ago and then unreleased what was it Four hours later, the the announcement was gone. The GitHub repo was unavailable. Yeah. So, what did you do to it, guy? <laughs> well, you know, I'm an elite hacker, so of course I <laughs> I, I found the exploits uh, within moments. And uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd love to know. I mean, it was one of those things where when it first came out, I, I looked at it and thought, oh, that's good. That'll be that. It's, you know, Cognito really needs that multi-region solution. And then sort of I'm looking at it as like, oh, yeah, it really doesn't solve all the problems. It only solves like one one of the problems. It doesn't solve all the kind of gnarly stuff. So I sort of moved on. And then when I went to look at it later, it was like, oh, where's it gone? Um, so, yeah, so I don't know whether it was just whether there was something like dangerously wrong with it <laughs> or whether it was just a bunch of people went, oh, boo, it doesn't do all the hard stuff. Um, and AWS went, oh, okay, yeah, sorry about that. We'll, we'll go back and have another go. But uh, I guess I guess we may find out in the next month or two if it, if it suddenly reappears and in some kind of slightly different form. Well, I guess we'll know what, what was wrong with it the first time. Yeah. Another one that's also a late release in the month was that you can now migrate your classic web to web 2.0 yeah that's a nice a nice thing I, I mean when i first used the new WAF, i thought oh it'll just pull across my old WAF, won't it no <laughs> so yeah it's just one of those ex- expectation things right when they bring out a version two you just think oh it'll it'll know you've got a version one one of these and it'll offer to import it or convert it or do something but when it didn't i thought oh okay but yeah. Anyway, I mean, I guess it's I guess it's probably different enough from the original one that they couldn't support it or whatever. But but yeah, so it is kind of nice. It makes makes one thing a little bit easier. So it's a migration tool, though. It creates a cloud formation template for you, looking at your current WAF, and then uh, store that on S3. So it's a free service, except the S3 storage, which probably will be small. But yeah, and then you need to redeploy it to the WAF too. So interesting. Yeah, uh, it's good to have something, especially as I'm sure that you two have also run into where right after Web 2 was released and you went through the console and suddenly it seemed like all of your Web rules were gone because they were hidden under a link. It's become classic now. The old one is classic, so which is like the, the way of AWS saying we don't want this product anymore. Yeah, yeah. like a bit like the ELB. It, but it, it, but does it mean that they'll just still have it ten years from now? It'll still be called classic. That's all. <laughs> just like it'll be. Yeah. Let's have a look at some VPC or EC2 type related announcements. So one new one, also again late in the month, was VPC endpoints for SES. From never having been touched for years, SES is suddenly getting. All kinds of updates and releases in different regions. Yeah, we had Sydney. Uh, it was a couple of months ago, right? When SES appeared in Sydney, and now we got private endpoint. Pretty good. You know, you don't yeah. have to have 
not get always open and all this stuff to send to that traffic, you can just use that private endpoint. Yeah, that's good. Everyone was happy about that one. Yeah, I had a look at the console today, and there is 77 endpoints you can create. Mm, that's crazy. That's a lot of mm. money, though. Um, EB as well, Elastic Beanstalk, so the support for private link on the subject of endpoints. So that's that's kind of a nice thing too because one of the chubs uh, for anyone I don't know if you guys have used Elastic Beanstalk much, but um, one of the the things that was always a frustration when I was just learning CloudFormation and and EB in general was um, you'd try and launch an Elastic Beanstalk stack and it would fail mysteriously. It would launch a launch a child stack and it would always fail. Uh, and it was all to do with networking because Elastic Beanstalk has a bunch of uh, public APIs that you must have uh, internet access to get to while you're creating your stack. And this enables you to create VPC endpoints for for those interfaces so that that kind of thing, I guess, won't happen if you've, if you've set them up, which would be good. Yeah, with an endpoint, you can access from on-prem as well. So for people who want to keep that you know communication to Elastic Beanstalk private from the CLI on-prem, to the iConnect or VPC, then they can talk to the endpoint as well. But Elastic Beanstalk had a lot of things this month. Yeah, got quite a bit of love. Yeah, yeah. The listing platform branches, that sort of will help help you kind of manage your existing uh, deployments and, and know what um, what's running and, and what state that's in in terms of life cycle. So if a platform has been sort of deprecated or, or is on the way out, you'll be able to find that out um, more easily. The There's been a lot of new platforms. So in April, they had Docker, Coretto, and Python updates, so new, new platforms for that. And um, just today, so I'm going to squeak it in because it's all related. <laughs> uh, they they announced also Node, PHP, Go, and Ruby platforms updates as well. So, and they've done some work on consolidating how they do that too. So, in the past, they had a mixture of they were using Apache and and Nginx, and now they've sort of standardized on Nginx for all the the proxy configurations. So that's going to make life a bit easier too if you've if you're dealing with multiple different platforms in Elastic Beanstalk. So yeah, so. Some there's some that's a nice amount of an, an, a nice amount of love I think for Elastic Beanstalk and I guess finally they they updated the console which is you know I don't know most most console updates when you see them you kind of go okay you've rearranged it is it better I don't know and you get used to it but I don't know there wasn't anything about it that made me think yes they finally they finally released the new console for Elastic Beanstalk it's um yeah it's just it's just different. Yeah, I haven't I haven't looked at this one, but I'll be honest, I have not been a fan of most, if not all, console updates that have been coming in in the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, look, I guess they have to make it all consistent now, now that they've kind of <laughs> adopted a certain sort of user UI style. They've got to, got to make all the UIs fall in line. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 a bit mixed. I have mixed feelings about them too. They don't always feel like improvements, you know. No, talking about mixed feelings. If we're now moving to the AI and ML section, guy, I know that you have a deep <laughs> love for Deep Composer. <laughs> well, I I just I just will never get over the fact that it sounds so close to Decomposer. And um, so what I'm going to do. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to send you a little snippet of of something on SoundCloud that someone did.
So, <laughs> yeah. So, so well, first of all, let, let, let me ask you, what, what did you think that was that you just listened to? Um, I have my suspicion because I've played around with Decomposer quite a bit. Um, and I've got a lot of um, similar examples that I will link to that I played in a different podcast for people who want to listen to somebody without any musical talent doing things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was apparently Oasis's Wonderwall, uh, courtesy of Deep Composer. So uh, I don't think Oasis need to be too concerned that they're going to be toppled from the charts with that. But um, yeah, look, I don't know. It's um, If it gets people interested in machine learning and AI, then, you know, who am I to stand in the way of progress? <laughs> but, but is it music? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it certainly has, has notes and rhythms and things in it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit lacking in... Um, I mean, it's 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 like when you listen to like actually we got a phone call oh, the other day. Human touch, you mean? Is missing the human well, touch? Well, well, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We got a, we got a we got a phone call the other the other day, and my wife answered, and she put it on speakerphone because it was dinner time, and you know whatever. And and this person started speaking, and I and I thought that's that's not a person. That's a chat. That's a bot. And she didn't kind of tweak to it. My wife didn't tweak to it straight away, and and she kept talking, and and I said. I said, that is definitely a bot. I said to her, I ask her, is she a bot? And she asked her if she was a bot. And the, 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 the bot just said nothing, then hung up. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very convincing. Like, it, it kind of was almost human. I don't think what Deep Composer is doing is approaching anything like kind of what a human would do. It's still really got the, the randomness of a machine. It hasn't kind of got... It hasn't figured out what makes music music to people, if you know what I mean. It's a bit different. Like if you look at the what Google, like you know all those those weird Google pictures where they've got you know eyes in you know or everything's turned into goats or or whatever puppies or do, 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 you know what I'm talking about the the AI image processing that they've done. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> um, but there's something in that where they've kind of there's a human element to that that makes you kind of look at it and go, oh, I see what you know. That's that's kind of the AI is figuring out. It knows what humans recognise and it's going to give me some of those things. Whereas, yeah, Deep Composer hasn't kind of doesn't feel like it's progressing towards anything on its own anyway that approximates anything that humans might recognise as the key elements of music. But maybe it but will. Think- I don't know. Yeah, do you think they're going to try the model over and over with new people contributing and, and then eventually they might come to something good? I mean, like Alexa, the more you train her, right, the better. I think they train Alexa once a week. Uh, yeah. that, that's massive work. The point is more with Deep Composer that you can build your own models. So you're not, it's not about training the model from Amazon. It's training your own model and yeah, it's right. just one way to train those GAN networks or the GAN engines, but that's it. So it's it's interesting, and I just want to ask you, guy, this whole rant you just went on is that like the artist version of old men yelling at cloud? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It could just be that. Um, 
that I, I'm, I'm unwilling to accept that a computer can, can make music on its own or, or even with our help by developing a model. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing about um, Deep Racer is that nobody cares, right? It's a car. It crashes off the side of the road. Nobody cares, right? And everyone knows what driving a car means. Like, you, you know, it's, just, it's, like, it's, not, it's not important. Whereas music's kind of important to a lot of people. And I, don't, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, so yes, I, I'm probably old man yells at cloud. Yes. Get off my lawn, you kids. If you took a song of mine... Like, can you can you make Deep Composer do something with that? Like, can you train Deep Composer to emulate me or to, like, how does it work? I've, excuse my ignorance. I don't know how it works. So what Deep Composer basically does, how it works, is you play the music. I haven't looked at the GA version yet, if you can upload anything. But otherwise, it's played on a keyboard, either virtual or just plug in a MIDI device. And then you can throw an algorithm over it that generates, based on whatever settings you give it, some kind of... Um, it adds in additional instruments, and you can change the instruments that it uses and things like that, and then it just creates something that may or may not sound nice. Right. <laughs> and that's the tricky part. That's the fun part. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Unless that's changed, it's limited to, like, 30-second clips. So it's not oh. like you can make complete songs with it. That's not its goal. Okay. Anyway, moving on from computer-generated music, A2I, or Amazon's Augmented AI, which now lets you add a human step for your artificial intelligence training. So the idea here is that you have your model running in, say, production, and it will encounter something it hasn't seen before, and it will try to match that against something, but it can't match it. So what it will then do is it will flag it and basically flag it for human review. And that way a human can come in, look at, okay, that was actually a photo of a puppy, not a muffin. And that can then be filled into the uh, training algorithm for your model and it will improve that way. So this is like a generalized... Uh, like a generalized service um, compared to the the one that's specifically for uh, recognition. Wasn't there one they released um, back at reInvent for for tagging images? Yeah, that is um, ground that's ground truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, so is it is it similar, or is it this is kind of after you've after it's made predictions, the humans yeah. checking with the predictions right, whereas ground truth is tagging it before you feed it into the machine. Exactly. Ground truth is for training your models, and this is for... Correcting your models. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Anything else you guys want to discuss from AIML section, or do we move on to other stuff? Do you think that the Amazon Transcribe Medical Supporting Custom Vocabulary has been driven by coronavirus and COVID-19? It wouldn't surprise me. Um, there have been... a. I, think Transcribe Medical will have just gotten a huge focus. It was probably already on the roadmap, but I would be quite confident that Amazon, like every other company that has anything they can do with it, has pushed anything that can help with that on the roadmap. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to our last section, the other cool stuff, which is, as usual, a grab bag of many different things. Earlier, you mentioned 
guy that we're in a unique position being one of the few regions in the Southern Hemisphere. And we just got another one with the South Africa region opening up. Yeah, a lot of, lot of new regions, well, a lot of new regions, two new regions and some extra, an extra AZ in Canada. So yeah, Amazon's certainly been very busy building out their networks this month. The new regions are in Cape Town and Milan, respectively, which is, yeah, really good to see. I'm pretty sure they were predicted to be released this year, and that has come true after probably about two years of building. Yeah. Third AZ in Canada will be very uh, welcome, I'm sure, uh, for a lot of, a lot of customers who are have a presence there. Having a third AZ is always nice. Yeah, the, the third AZ adds so many surfaces that you can't use until you have that. Mm, yeah, that's right. It's true. And based on some research that did for blog post a while back, that makes Beijing the only region, the only full region that is left with only two availability zones. Right. And I guess they're somewhat hamstrung in, in Beijing, the, as in they're probably not at liberty to just do whatever they like there. They have to consult widely with the Chinese government or, or whatever to make stuff happen there. Yeah, I'm not sure how things work there. Cause well, they simply don't have the demand, right? Yeah, because the, the other region in China does have free ACs. It's just the Beijing one that doesn't. Maybe it will get updated. Maybe it won't. I feel like there are some more limitations because... It's also behind with a lot of services, but yeah, we'll see over time whether the idea of two AZs will completely disappear or if we will still have that one left over. An improvement to Control Tower? Yeah, improvement to Control Tower. I don't especially love that service, but you know, the British is really pushing for that product as a landing zone. And, and now finally you can install Kotolawa into an existing organization where before it was not possible, you had to create a new one. Uh, and now you can import an account as well. Very manual process though, like the rest of Kotolawa Tower, the rest of the so it's all GUI based. This one is a Python script uh, to import an account. Um, and you run that, wait for 30 minutes, and then end up with an account with a couple of platformation templates getting pushed uh, into your console tower. And then you go to the next one. So when you have 10 accounts, that can take a bit of a while. Uh, but it, it's a good move if you are a small organization and you don't want to have to manage multiple accounts and multiple security uh, features and, and guardrail across your organization. So a uh, good improvement for console tower. We want an API though. Other one hmm. is still very, very GUI based, uh, no API. So yeah, yeah, it's one of those services that really needs some automation love. But yeah, at least one of the big things holding people back, I think, from using Control Tower is because they all had organizations already. Mm. Yeah, they didn't want to have to have another credit card, another payment system to have to create a new org. So uh, that's a good move. Yeah. So I want to bring up one other new service or rather an extension of a new service I guess it's now the AWS Transfer Family why do we now have an FTP service? <laughs> <laughs> because try, try as everyone my, might to, to drive a, st a wooden stake through the heart of FTP it's, it's, it's the protocol that will not die and, um, because of mainframe, right? Yeah. yeah, it's legacy legacy stuff. Just, yeah, old servers, old software, old people. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's um, yeah. I mean, we were doing, doing a tender the other day, and uh, it includes FTP um, between two machines. Like the, the first question you ask is, why is that there? It's like, oh, don't worry about that. It's always been like that. Yeah, and that's why. Eventually, they had to just go. Oh God, okay, we'll give you FTP <laughs> if it'll make you put your data in S3. We'll we'll give you FTP to do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, what else is there? Yeah, I mean the the most exciting sounding one. I'm being sarcastic. Is Amazon Connect adds custom terminating key press for DTMF, which seems like such a tiny little thing, but it got an announcement all of its own. Um, I guess I guess there must have been quite a lot of uh, people complaining that they couldn't define a custom terminating key press for DTMF, but. Um, yeah, surprising. I, I would have thought that was not really likely to be a big deal, but there you go. I guess it was. Yeah, and similarly then, I guess, with Amazon Connect, that customers can now interrupt chatbots, just like your example with your wife earlier. Yeah, yeah. How, <laughs> I, 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 I wonder if they've asked the chatbots if they're okay with that, though. It seems a bit rude. <laughs> it does seem a bit rude, yeah. Uh, maybe you have to say, pardon me, Alexa. Um, <laughs> would you mind shutting up now? Okay. And I think that's where we'll leave it for this month. That was everything about that. what's new in April. Guy, JM, thank you again for joining me for this. Thanks for having Always me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, yes. Algin. Thank you. Yes. And of course, I want to thank the user group sponsors, our gold sponsor, Enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3 and CMD Solutions. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll hopefully see you again next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.